This episode has us looking at the history of a small American town, and maybe unsurprisingly, we look into some pretty racist stuff as part of that, including a lengthy accounting of a lynching. Trigger warning for racialized violence. Listener and remote viewer discretion is advised. Hello, everyone. You're listening to 33.3 FM. Torma, sounds like you kind of happened upon uh, something of uh, some magnitude here. Pure happenstance, uh, as far as my understanding of this, it's just we happen to be getting a lot of viewers from here. Viewers? I hope it's not viewers. This is an audio podcast. It might be viewers, though, considering who we're talking about. It might just be robots, right? You know, they may be scryers. We don't know. I mean, like that would explain the listening count because I, I I know yeah. that listening to the voice of whoever your scry on is supposed to help. God, I think that's why the swimming to Cambodia guy had to pull out of all that. Like, so the, the all those like spoken word artists, surprisingly dangerous trade. There's a reason that stuff went uh, kind of by the wayside. Like, if you know a scryer, never answer a phone call. Well, I, I don't understand the whole of it, but uh, this seems like a repeat of the uh, whole uh, Mac attacks thing, and it sounds like you've gotten I uh, didn't quite get as stuck into the grease trap of the occult underground with this. This is a kind of... I was a bit uh, ginger in my uh, treating of this because I feel that... I don't know. This is a, it's, it's a can of worms we you look about. There's still three different Olympian equestrians involved and a billionaire superis. So let's, uh, let's not put the cart before the horse. So to get into the context of this a bit, we were just kind of seeing where we were getting listeners from, and we noticed we are getting a lot from Coatesville. And, you know, it's the internet. There could be... Uh, and what is Coatesville? Where is Coatesville? It is in Pennsylvania. State of brotherly love extending from the city of Burley Love. Quakers. Then There's plenty of Quaker shit going on here. I was on the verge of just dismissing this as a statistical anomaly. But then or I just had bots, a like a, a bot farm. Or, a bot farm or something. Yeah, like then, uh, in the middle of Pennsylvania, it's kind of weird. I had a dream, a very vivid dream, where I was walking into a small town. All the inhabitants were just coats wearing people. <laughs> and when I woke up covered in sweat and hard for some reason, I just thought it must be coats too. It has to be. It's all connected. Because this was, for a while, I think still, our top-ranked all-time listener city. I think it's still a... Yes, which suggests to me that there is a vibrant occult underground there, which seems to be avidly following our activities. It's an Occam's Razor thing here. Like, all right, either there's some obscure SoundCloud bot farm in the middle of rural Pennsylvania, or there's just a few chargers around that kind of are passing us around. Yeah. Occam's Razor gets confusing when you know about the existence of the occult underground. Occam's Razor works if you have a mundane worldview, a scientific worldview, but once you know that there is an occult underground, Occam's razor becomes difficult to wield. Still useful. Very useful tool, but... I'd say that you can still pretty readily use it. Just assume. Alright, simplest explanation for this is that there's a strange subculture of occult weirdos getting up to 
shenanigans and that's what's causing all the weird problems in the area it's it's really it's nice because it really explains a lot of things very quickly and they've become very interested in our in our work in our discussions in our exposés of the occult underground and you've gotten interested in them in turn from the sound of things and that's how these things this is how we build a community before it tears itself apart over power struggle but first let's get into Coatesville pencil. The, the power of friendship. All right. What angle do we want to come at this from? Well, let's just describe it. Okay. We've got Coatesville. Coatesville is a city. Um, well, it's, it's technically a city in Chester County, Pennsylvania, of around 13,150 people, I believe. I yeah. Think. Using the city loosely as possible there. More in a legal sense than like urban uh, density sense. Well, this is, this is 13,000 known residents. Uh, this doesn't include natural entities. It doesn't include any wizards or wizarding communities. We know that this area, Chester County, was famous for very strange religious communes during the uh, 18th, 19th century. Some scions of the Amish community could have hidden themselves. What sort of uh, strange religious groups are we talking about here? Because, I, you know, this is... We're dealing with Quakers here. This is all in Pennsylvania, but... You know, that's all you're all stalking the Second Great Awakening there. And there is all sorts of uh, fun evangelical weirdness going on during that period. Oh, yeah. Um, there was uh, like a something called the Presbyterian New Light religious movement. That's all just very like first Great Awakening uh, happened around this area. But it wasn't, of course, it wasn't just in Chester County, but it was one of the centers. Okay. Yeah, there's, there's quite a bit. There's a, a bit of that old school, that interesting kind of early American, pre-United States American weirdness there, which I quite enjoy. Well, let's look at the, from the, the mundane side of things, the uh, cover story, or at least the, the face that Coatesville presents to the world. It was originally apparently the site of a Lenape village, and then it became the site of a fur trading spot, which is all quite standard. But that wasn't exactly at the location, but near enough. Um, the first sort of like settlement settlement there, like Western settlement and not just the trading spot, was a, uh, a Scottish guy who came and built an, a log cabin there in 1787. And he sold it, his son sold it to a man named Moses Coates. And that's the Coates. Okay, Coates. so this, this place wasn't even settled uh, when America declared its independence. It, that, it was still like pretty backwoods. Oh, yeah, you're right, right, actually. I'm, I'm I'm not good with that. I'm not American. I don't know when things happened. Yeah, no, yeah, you, you, you haven't been like inundated with this shit since you were six years old. Okay, so what happened was Moses Coates's son-in-law sold frontage of the property next to the Lancaster Turnpike in the 1790s. Now that is interesting from an occult point of view because it is is America's first toll road. So for any libertarian bioturges and geomancers out there, that's an important point. I mean, like, I'm surprised that, like, you know, I think Jersey Turnpike, right? I'm surprised that's, like, even something that... What, what the fuck seems the definition of a turnpike? We don't have them in Australia. I, I, I think they're a, a kind of road. <laughs> it's, a, it's a purely American phenomena. I don't know. It's, uh, it's a road. It's a toll road. And probably because someone stood next to the road with a pike, and you paid him, and then he turned the pike around, and that meant you could go. Yeah, just the guy with the big sharp stick. That's what toll booth is fundamentally on some level. I wonder if like um, any kind of libertarian viaturges 
it, like you could turn a toll road, like especially a symbolic, like historically important toll road, into like a place where, say, you had to pay a toll of like a magic charge to use it or something like that. Oh, sure, easily, yeah. Hmm. My question is like, why the hell is a guy setting up a toll road and then kind of in the middle of nowhere here? and being the first one to do it. There were other settlements around the area that predated that, and it was sort of like, I think it was between various settlements, and it seemed a, a nice place to put a road. Okay, and the second question is, how the hell do you get away with having a toll booth there? Like, that sort of implies that he has some ends with local government in some way, allowing him to set up... Toll implies official, otherwise it's just an ambush and you're getting shaken down by bandits, right? It is quite on brand for America to declare its independence from the tyrant King George and then immediately char charging people to use the roads. Though admittedly it's not immediately, right? You said like 1786? Uh, it was um, the front of the sword in 1790s sometime. Uh, that was pretty okay, so it takes it takes him a good couple decades to really uh, yeah. slide backwards there. You, unlike me, don't have the numbers 1776 stenciled into the back of your brain for all eternity. Well, actually, I do, but it has nothing to do with the United States. It's a different number. <laughs> There's a different meaning to that number. But yes, I do have 1776 tattooed on the inside of my skull. Those are numerologically powerful, and there's you know a reason we declared independence when we did, but... The year before 1777... And 777, the year, that's like the number of God plus a thousand years, one millennium. Sure, that has something to do with it. So, but originally it wasn't called Coatesville. Okay, yeah. And so it started with this guy setting up a toll road. Yep. And then he sold it to this other guy named Coates. And then yep. he was like, hey, I can actually settle here instead of just, you know, extracting money from people who want to pass by. Well, no, he settled there first and then his son-in-law sold frontage to the property next to the turnpike. So I don't think Coates was involved with the okay. turnpike. Someone else was involved with that. You'd have to ask the Viaturge. It was originally known as Bridgetown because it had a whopping two bridges. So of course you'll name it Bridgetown. Oh, wow, shit. Um, they're very creative back in the, in the 1700s. Um, it became the borough of Coatesville in 1867 and became a city, incorporated into a city in 1915. Damn, all right. Took them a while. Took them a while. It's, it was, it's a pretty small place. But in the early 20th century, it was known as a steelworking area, and the population swelled with white and black. Okay, okay, okay. You you did just skip an entire century here. Anything of note in the 19th century? I, nothing, nothing in the public record. Um, All right. Not much. Well, I did go and look into some of the Coatesville uh, historical society stuff, but I wasn't getting much interesting stuff from the 19th century. Yeah, th those places are always sort of the you know, pony public face of where it is. Yeah. Oh, look at our quaint colonial history. Nothing to do with extortion rackets or strange equine activity. Go straight from, oh, yes, we'll make friends with the Indians and then skip a century. Oh, yes, and now industrialization. What happened in between, guys? Let's not talk about it. So, yeah, early 20th century, it starts kind of industrializing. And yeah, it became a steelworking area. The population swelled with uh, white and black transplants from the south uh, who were migrating north, as well as a bunch of European immigrants that came in, often from Eastern Europe, also Hungarians. It had a name. It was apparently extolled as the Pittsburgh of the East, which means East Pennsylvania, which sounds like pretty faint <laughs> praise to me. <laughs> That's fucking good. So, okay, a uh, big industrial town, and from there, I mean, like, yeah, as far as I can tell, one of the in interesting things about Coatesville is that 
it has a surprisingly large African-American population for yes. such a small northern town. There was a lot of immigration up there from the south. It's a bit of a grim story uh, that I found, but we'll get into that later. But it was an area of the country where there was a quite a bit of racial unrest, uh, which meant white people being the worst. Um, so that's usually what it means. Now, it was a steel center for a while, and this started to decline uh, from the end of the Second World War, but it remained relatively important. Now, 1969 is an interesting year because that is when the Lucan Steel plant in Coatesville produced a bunch of steel beams to be used in the World Trade Center. These were known as trees. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, steel beams for the World Trade Center. I wonder what they could be used for in occult circles. Now, some of these trees would end up being returned to Coatesville in 2010. These beams were actually made in Coatesville 41 years ago at a steel mill called the Lucan Steel Mill, which is just right across the way here. They're basically coming back home in order to become the centerpiece of a memorial and museum to 9-11 and also to the history of steel in Coatesville. Out of curiosity, are there any air, air bases near Coatesville that they could perhaps borrow some jet fuel from? <laughs> Let's have a look. I didn't look into that. Uh, Coatesville Air Base, I don't think so. No. There's a helicopter charter. You want to rent a helicopter? Oh, wow. Shit. Survey the uh, beautiful Pennsylvania landscape. I can say that wrongly. I'm sure it's very nice up there. Yeah, I'm sure, it's, I'm sure it is. Well, some people would disagree, and this is what got me actually interested in covering this city. It's like, okay, first toll road. That's kind of a fun factoid. And other than that, it just sounds like, you know, uh, like a lot of places in kind of the uh, northeast United States of sudden industrialization and then slow decline as jobs are outsourced elsewhere. Yeah, where's where's the interesting shit coming on this? Well, because I was just like idly curious that this this particular city, this particular town, had popped to the top of our ranking. So I I did a quick search. One of the first things that popped up was a a, a thread from a Reddit thread on the Philadelphia subreddit entitled "Is Coatesville really that bad a place to live?" And I'm like, what? Okay. And it's a couple of interesting just notes in there, and people were talking about like. Um, the good areas, bad areas. There's a couple of quotes where people were just like, heed the warnings, do not go into Coatesville. And I'm like, why is why is this? It just seems a bit over the top. It's like... Is that the language they're using? Yes. Turn back, traveler. <laughs> yes. Here be dragons. And I'm just like, hmm. Mm. What it probably is from a mundane point of view, it's probably northern racism. But just the way it was phrased made me so I decided to dig a little bit deeper uh, and see what was going on. And there's quite a few interesting things. There is apparently a lot of cocaine there. Uh, I found an article talking about how Coatesville is called Cokesville, which is, eh, it makes sense. I was about to say, I'm glad that they uh, beat me to that easy apartment too. You don't really think of rural Rust Belt Pennsylvania as a big, like, coke area so that's that's interesting and I, we're just confirming we're not talking like crack cocaine we're talking like low yeah the, the, the fancy shit all right shit. i don't know good I, for I, them they must, they must be doing all right up there at least no apparently it's doing quite bad uh because the economy is not doing very well there was a series of arsons um in 2008 and 2009 
They start in the middle of the night, intentional blazes that occur without warning, striking fear in Coatesville's 11,000 residents. People can't sleep at night, they're all scared. Up at the night, we'll look out the windows, making sure that the house is on fire. More than 70 fires set over the course of 18 months. One turned an entire block. Uh, Fleetwood Street was uh, just reduced to ash. And in the end, they realized it was like, like up to six independent arsonists all operating at roughly the, the same time. What? Including a, Six? Including a firefighter. What? And there was no coordination here? Apparently not. Okay, from what I'm seeing here, 20 of the arsons still aren't explained? Yes, that's, that's... Okay. That's insane. So presumably at least seven. Now, this is what's interesting to me, is the fact that this happened 2008, 2009, not in 2010, but what happened in 2010? That's when the some of the surviving steel beams from the World Trade Center were taken oh, to okay. the Coatesville Iron and Steel Heritage Museum, and then the arson stopped. Was it a ritual effort? Fire can't melt steel beams. I know it's jet fuel, but still, the symbolism still works. Yeah, the, the way you stop a fire is you include the most famously inflammable thing in the popular consciousness. We all know that steel doesn't bend when you put it in fire. Forget about metallurgy. I mean, obviously it did for the World Trade Center. I do refuse to believe that all six of those were uncoordinated. Like, that just... Were, were, like, were there any other, like, law enforcement involved in the arsons? Uh, other so. than, like, whether or not you want to consider a firefighter law enforcement. You, but you get what I mean, like... Someone that you consider for... fire to be a criminal. Well, yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> Firefighter, you're breaking the law. That could actually, I like that as a character concept, though. Never take a visit to fire jail. It's rough there. It's hot. Yeah. Okay, so we we're talking presumably at least seven people, unless one of the guys is like, "Oh yeah, I totally committed those arsons, not those ones though." Because then, like, from what I've seen here, like, it sounds like all of them pled guilty, right? I think so, yeah. Okay, so they admitted it. So, assuming they are, like, admitting the whole truth and not just arbitrarily leaving out specific arsons, because if you're a serial arsonist, I'm sure you're getting time. Like, a, a couple more won't add that much to your sentence. So this has led to a lot of conspiracy uh, theories within the city, uh, especially the black community, about how it was orchestrated to basically wipe out black communities, black areas, um, to as a, as a really backdoor, fucked up way of gentrifying the area, which I'm afraid I can't completely disbelieve. I'm just like, hmm, people would do that. But it might just be one of the, at least one of the arsonists was a schizophrenic, so. Coatesville has a um, complicated racial history. You know, like people tend to not, think of lynchings as a countrywide phenomena. And, and think of it as a southern thing and not a northern thing. Exactly. And you, you, while they're definitely more common in the south, especially with, you know, the Ku Klux Klan having as much power down there as they did, they were still a big problem in the north even after the Civil War. There's a reason that there were so many black people moving to urban areas just clustering together for safety. Yep. Essentially. Yep. Well, people forget, especially when people talk about, like, ghettos in the overall historical sense of, like, Jewish ghettos of Europe and yeah. various ethnic ghettos around the world. The ghettos developed for self-preservation reasons. It's a bit of both. It a, a lot of, of it's self-preservation. But, yeah, sometimes there were, like, laws saying if you are Jewish, 
you or you're black, you have to live in this part of town. Yeah. And often, you know, oftentimes it was engineered too, of course. Of course. like Kate went into that a while back with um, uh, when we interviewed her on how uh, Detroit's urban planning just totally screwed over the black population. For obvious racist reasons. Yeah, uh, urban planning can easily be done to create de facto segregation, even yeah. if it's not official. Urban planning can be used to do a lot of things. So the key point is this wasn't just a Southern thing. This is happening in far north as Pennsylvania. Well, this is what's interesting about this case is because like many times you listen, read stories about fucked up lynchings, the victims are usually a mistaken identity because they don't care. They're just going after, like something happens and it's like, mis- like some younger black guy does something and they take offense and then they go on a rampage killing a bunch of black people. Nothing to do with it. But in this case, interesting, Zach Walker apparently was a bit of a dickhead. Or at least he was a bad, angry drunk. Because Zach Walker, uh, one day, decided to get drunk on gin. And I have been in this boat of getting drunk on gin and making terrible decisions. But not quite as bad as this. What happened was there was a security guard, or rather a hole and iron policeman, named Edgar Rice. He was employed by the Worth Brothers Steel Company. And he left his post because he heard three gunshots um, on a... August 9th in 1911. And he raced to the scene and he found Zach Walker, who was trying to rob uh, a group of immigrant iron workers. And I found other sources saying they were like Hungarian iron workers. This time there was also Hungarian and other Eastern European immigrants coming to Pennsylvania to, you know, seek their fortune or get a job or whatnot. And leaving the Austro Hungarian Empire and trying to go somewhere a bit less ridiculous. And the other thing to keep in mind of like about lynchings and shit, like a lot of times, you know, some taking offense, something that a lot of time that shit was just completely made up. Emmett Till, uh, yeah, Emmett Till, the woman who, not, like, nothing more than catcalling her. Yes, and he wasn't. I don't think he even was. He just had a conversation. No, with her. no, like she came out on her deathbed saying he never did that. Oh, but that wasn't that after years of like. Yeah, the the point was that she made it up. The point was that she made it up the whole fucking time. Oh, yeah. No, I was reading stories about like uh, about the participation of young people, young women, and girls in these lynchings is underreported. Yeah, really quite psychologically, in, like a from a historical point of view, it's quite interesting. But anyway, Zach Walker was robbing these Hungarians. Edgar Rice, the coal and iron policeman, rocks up. Um, Attempts to subdue Walker, but he was flung to the ground, beaten senseless, and then Walker uh, emptied his last three shots into him at point-blank range, killing him instantly. And then he ran away. And so, of course, a posse was formed, as it was still posse o'clock in the U.S., just uh, 1911. And they found him hiding in a farm, hiding in a cherry tree. Now, at this point, I think it was probably, I think it was the next day he was found. And now, at this point, I'm assuming that Zach Walker probably had a hangover. If he was drunk enough on gin to rob some Hungarians, he must have had a pretty bad hangover. So he's up a tree with a hangover, with a gun, and with a, surrounded by a posse. Uh, but he had two revolvers by the time they found him. So he was waving them around saying, fuck off, you guys. But... We being surrounded by a posse, they just kept shooting him. They just kept shooting the cherry tree with their rifles. And Walker was like, well, this is fucked. I'm not getting out of this. So he put one of the revolvers to his head, pulled the trigger, and the bullet entered his skull, 
but missed his brain and all major arteries, and he fell to the tree, fell to the ground, was ambushed, but they decided they put him on a makeshift makeshift stretcher made from the barrels of their shotguns and carried him to an automobile, which took him to the hospital, which is interesting to me. So he was treated, and after his wounds were treated, uh, he gave a full confession. He had sobered up. He said that he had been shocked by rice. He blamed the gin, which I can understand. There's a quote from him right here. I'd been drinking gin, and I was feeling pretty good. I got out there near the worst mills among the hunkies, which I believe means Hungarians, and to let on that I was a bold man and might hold him up, I fired three shots from my gun. So he might have just been, like, drunk and cocky, you know? Like, that sounds like... Well, he might just be saying that. Well, he continues, Of course they yelled, and Rice, who had heard the shots, came rushing up and grabbed me. I had too much gin and didn't calculate to go along. So I held back and asked Rice what he wanted me for. For carrying concealed weapons, he says. Then I won't go, I says, trying to pull away. He drew his club and reached for his revolver, and that must have been then that I shot him. And I'm like, I could see that happening to a drunk person with a gun. Don't mix booze and alcohol. Sorry, fuck. Uh, don't, don't mix booze and guns, guys. <laughs> that sounds like what a dipsomancer would say. Never mix booze and alcohol. <laughs> I really like some of the, um, the old school uh, ways, like phrases, like, I didn't calculate to go along is a great phrase that I'm going to steal. The occasional tossing in of a $8 word in there. Sorry, but the evidence, he... he he uh, confessed, but he explained himself as it was the gin, um, and I was shocked. But the evidence, uh, there was two eyewitnesses, uh, both of whom were black, who saw that he did, who gave a different side of the story. But then the white community kind of swung into like talking about Edgar Rice as being a perfect guy. Um, there was at his funeral. What um, was the um, what was the testimony given by the other black guys? It was more. It was not an accident. That um, it wasn't just a, a, a tussle that led to a, a fight. It was more of a deliberate "I'm going to shoot you" thing. I'm just going on what I've, what the, um, the documents I found, and they're kind of yeah, limited. Yeah. Edgar Rice, who I don't know much about, um, he was described at his funeral by a local doctor as "big, kind-hearted Edgar Rice." How often we worked together for the cause of Christ. He was one of those angels who walked the streets with shaggy hands of. Clothes, with clothes of homespun. This family and this community lost a faithful husband, father, and citizen when Edgar Rice oh, died. Jesus. He sacrificed his life in the performance of his duty. Now, I don't think this guy deserved to die, but I'm not sure that he needed all this. Energy. Well, it's a eulogy, whatever. Eulogies are allowed to be a bit hyperbolic, but who knows? Maybe he Well, there, there's a very racial motivation behind making him as much of a, a saint. He was like the constable, right? That was uh, his role in town. No, no, no. He was he was a private policeman for the steelworks. Oh, I, I'm sure that he's a, a real upstanding fella. Private policeman in a rural town with a uh, long history of racial tension. Well, because we always know that the private police will only employ the most ethically upstanding people. Oh yeah, absolutely. Right. That, that, that's that's why private police are so much better and so much e- so much more accountable for their actions than uh, regular police. The, the libertarian Vietturge I mentioned er- earlier is just nodding along with this. <laughs> now things start to get a bit crazier because so 
Zack Walker, he's in a hospital. He's being guarded by the police. Uh, but at some point during an evening, during a night, during the night, a masked man mounted the hospital steps and shouted to a large crowd, Men of Coatesville, will you let a drunken N-word do up such a white man as Rice? And it immediately turned into a bloodthirsty mob. They stormed the hospital, um, just blowing past all the nurses, because they're nurses, and the cop who did nothing. And they bound him to his cot, to the cot he was, uh, his hospital cot, uh, bound him with rope, and dragged him away. And then this is when things get really gnarly and really gruesome. So they took him back to the farm, the same place where they found him in the cherry tree. Why they took him there, I have no idea. But they took him there. They started tearing out fence posts, and they built a pyre while he was struggling on his cot. Um, and he's saying that he killed Rice in self-defense, but they're not listening. He was quoted as saying, don't give me a crooked deal because I am not white, which is quite an uh, eloquent thing to say when people are about to burn you alive. But it did not help him very much. They were the mob. They were all concealed in masks and handkerchiefs, very KKK style. Once the pyre was built, they threw the cot on top of it and set it on fire. Now, for a moment, he had got some luck because the fire managed to burn the ropes and Walker ran away. Um, and he was almost, it was almost over a fence when they were grabbed him from behind and dragged him back and threw him back on the fire and just watched as he burned. Then, um, when it was done, Jesus. he they left, all that was left of him was a charred chunk of torso, which was placed in a soapbox bearing a note written in crayon, Return to Relatives, which was tossed in a ditch near the hospital entrance. That is really fucked up. Like, most yeah. lynching stories wow. are inherently fucked up, but that is a particularly awful one. And as much as he probably wasn't a great guy if he was robbing Hungarians and shot a guy. No, yeah, nobody deserves, nobody deserves death by that. It's, it's just, like, the whole story sets, like, a huge clusterfuck, too. Oh, it like, is. Like, they brought him to the hospital, they and did. then yes. they, like, no, no, yeah, let's, let's kill this guy. Jesus. I mean, like, far as I can tell, it seems like this is sort of, there's, like, a pattern here. And then there was an investigation into it after oh god um, the sheriff chief police district attorney came started tracking down members of the mob um, to quote unquote hold them accountable and discovered the mob was mostly composed of civic leaders teenage girls and young children the night watchman's widow named annie rice who went along with the crowd and it was just insane like the, the youth and just not the people you'd expect but this is again then again it's the sort of thing, it's the, um, what's that word, like, lynching picnics, um, what people call when you see those, um, those photos of, like, lynching photos from the 50s, and everyone just looked, all the, the spectators just looked like they're at a carnival, and they have that sort of vibe yeah. about them. It's fucked up, and it was kind of like an early version of that. See, I will say I don't believe for a second that it was just a bunch of kids and teenagers. I That's just kind of something that could surprisingly. Large well, no, like, and also, what was it? What was the rhetoric used to go to this mob into forming in, I guess, the second place? Men of they specifically said white man. So that just seems like a lot of people come together to kind of collectively cover for each other. It, it was it was a plus to fuck. 
it was insane. There was uh, there were race riots and things after this because the black community was understandably yeah. not happy with this. There was a strict curfew. They shut down every saloon and tavern in the city, uh, put the city under basically martial law. The problem was that they brought in authorities from outside to do the investigation, the state police, but the local population was, and the local administration was fairly uncooperative. And it's looking like it was also after that investigated by the uh, NAACP. I mean, in the wake of this, it looks like Pennsylvania passed a anti-lynching law, which is that is at least good, I guess. That is at least uh, something. But anyway, well, this is interesting because it's something that because like that sort of history is normally considered as part of the something that happened to the south but not the north, but it did happen to the north. Well, Coatesville and kind of uh, the county it's in Chester County. Um, has like a weirdly strong connection with just a lot of America's racial history. And like, in a sense that like it's kind of natural for any town that's going to have such a large black population, especially, um, as strange that as that is to have in the North around this time period. But like the connections are often like more, they're often like more indirect too. Yeah. Uh, Baird Rustin came out of here. If you know who that is, no. That. Uh, he was um one of the big civil rights leaders. Okay. During the forties, uh, fifties, um, worked with a uh, MLK, part of a lot of the same circles. Okay. Uh, he's interesting in that one. He was much more like upfront leftist socialist. As was MLK in a lot of his writing. Well, yeah, but, yes. Especially towards the later half of his life, he became a Yes, and left. there was always a lot of connections between the uh, American Communist Party and, like, a lot of civil rights groups, especially during that time. Some nefarious and some just logical, because... Like, yeah, exactly. Like, okay, yeah, this, there's a word for this solidarity, but yeah. there's also, you know, a, a bunch of the... American Communist Party leadership is, it's not fair to call them Soviet puppets because it wasn't like, you know, all these were like spies or something. It was just, they thought that what was going on in Soviet Russia was totally above board and wanted to help their comrades out. And it, as the excesses of Stalin slowly came to be known, a lot of them left. Well, because this is this is what happens when, like, especially the, the capitalist media says, like, a lot of... They had spent a lot of time talking absolute shit, like, complete nonsense and false news, fake news, basically, about the Soviet Union. And so when the yeah. Stalinist excesses, and even pre-Stalinist excesses, like, started to come out, some people were primed to just believe everything, and other people were primed to disbelieve everything. You see that today with... Um, the way people talk about China and the Uyghur problem, it's because yeah. the Western media says a lot of dumb shit and ignorant shit about China, which for a certain group of people makes people just say, like, if the Western media is saying it, it must be wrong. A lot of tankies are like this. And I can kind of, yeah. I'm, no I'm no tanky, but I can kind of understand it based on just the, the just sheer history of Western media. Well, like, yeah, that's the thing with sort of leftism it's like you have the people that are very much like all right self-determination freedom like that that's our primary goal here and then there's others that are like pretty much cool with whoever's against the u.s yeah that's the, I, I see that 
sentiment quite a bit, even like more and more these days. It's always been a sentiment yeah. that I've been aware of, but it seems to be, although it might just be a, a, like a terminally online thing, but who knows? Yeah, yeah. So Bayard Rustin, um, yeah, a big civil rights figure who came out of uh, Chester County. The executive director of the March on Washington, the man who organized this whole thing, Mr. Bayard Rustin. The first demand is that we have effective civil rights legislation, no compromise, no filibuster, and that it includes public accommodation, decent housing, integrated education, FEPC, and the right to vote. What do you say? Other thing is that he was gay and ah. became more and more public about that over the course of his life. Mm -hmm. And as the civil rights movement of the 40s, 50s, and 60s died down, and then you had the gay rights movement mm -hmm. coming in. And even better, later in life, especially around the 80s, he makes the full swing to neoconservatism. Oh, no. What a, what a oh, no. Full neocon. Like, goes to visit the White House under President Reagan, who lavishes him with praise. It gets into, like, um, there was, I was reading and listening a lot about the Reagan administration's efforts to capture certain elements of the black elite that they considered to be ideologically preferable to what happened to the civil rights movement. Like, especially, yeah. I, I, I looked into this a lot when I was researching a Mac. And when McDonald's advertising and um, publicity, not publicity, but um, they started to more concentrate on the, the black market in terms of McDonald's advertising. Yeah, yeah. Mama wants to get to church. She's been waiting up since dawn. She wishes I would hurry up and get some breakfast on. But after working hard all week, I'd like to get my rest. So we head, head for McDonald's. And also getting more McDonald's into like urban communities that were predominantly black. And the Reagan administration le leapt on that because that allowed them to push this whole idea of the, the black entrepreneur, the black guy who loves, who is being successful in capitalism and see, and you don't need to worry about all that civil rights nonsense. It's all done. The important thing is just to make money. And that is part of like a, a sort of, through line of the no, yeah, there is a big thing of that in the eighties of like you know bringing the white man and black man together in unity under the smiling, watchful eye of the almighty dollar. And that's right. And and I know who knows all about that. Alex Abel knows all about that, don't you, Alex? I know you listen. I know you listen to this, Alex. 
I, this might be a bit of a jump, but this isn't the only prominent figure related to civil rights coming out of Coatesville. So I'm going to assume that most people don't know the name Essie May Washington Williams. I do not. Do you know who Strom Thurmond is? I do, yes. He was, okay. a, he was an old, hoary racist that lived for a long time. Yes, he lived for a long fucking time. So anyone who is, any of our listeners who um, are from outside of the United States, Strom Thurmond was a very prominent pro-segregation politician that came out of South Carolina. He was, served both as governor and then later senator of South Carolina and was basically like the figurehead of pro-segregation politics in the United States. Governor Thurmond attacks the civil rights flank. It simply means that it's another effort on the part of this president to dominate the country by force and to put into effect these uncalled for and these damnable proposals he has recommended under the guise of so-called civil rights. And I tell you, the American people from one side or the other had, a, had better wake up and oppose such a program. And if they don't, the next thing will be a totalitarian state in these United States. Wait, wait, wait. What, what, what does this have to do with Coatesville? I'm getting lost. So, fun fact about Strong Thurmond. He had a love child mm-hmm. when, you know, I believe it's like in his early 20s with his... Teenage black housekeeper. Oh, shit. And his daughter that came out of that uh, grew up in Coatesville. Ah. Which is where the sister of his housekeeper lived. That she didn't reveal it publicly until after he died. And they like they met infrequently. She didn't know that Strom Thurmond was her father. Or even that her mother was like her actual mother until she was 16. Wow. So, like, and to get, like, sort of um, context for this, the year that she would have found out that Strom Thurmond was her he was, dad okay. was... 1941 no, when was, he was 16. That's what I'm looking at here. That was before he had been governor. Yep. That was before he had been senator. He, he wasn't governor of South Carolina until 1947. So, her secret dad... Well, again, keep in mind that her mother was black, mm-hmm. is spouting all this pro-segregationist hateful shit for all of her life, essentially, and she can't say anything about it. Jesus. Because he's paying away, partially, and also because she, she knows yeah. that the establishment would come down on her like a... Or the media probably wouldn't even listen to her. They'd just dismiss it. Yeah, exactly. Like, because there, there'd be no fucking proof. Yeah, we didn't have like genetic tests and stuff back then. It would have been her word. So yeah, like that's that's God, that's just fucking insane. Um, I know it's somewhat differently related to Coatesville. She only grew up there, but still, I I'm not like, going to do this. That's a horrible, horrible idea for a character identity. Um, I am the Strom Thurmond. Uh, I would do it. I would make a Strom Thurmond unless it was historical. But I'd be like, of course, I am. I'm the the secret. Uh, half black love child of David Duke. Of course I can. Dot dot dot. Like kind of fucked up, but it could be interesting. Uh, resist shocks to self. Yeah. yeah. 
like so yeah this place has like in a weird sense a lot of strong ties with both ends of america's horrible racial history despite being as far north as it is i mean yeah sort of the uh Coatesville's uh, two claims to fame. Fires an uncomfortable racial history. Yes. Well, there's more claims to fame, but those are the two main ones. But there are a few other things which are interesting from an unknown army's point of view. There's also like kind of a interesting like '90s counterculture thing. One of the members of the Del- one of the members of the Dead Milkman grew up here. Uh, Bam Margera is from Chester County. Really? Uh, really? Okay. That's a whole. Yeah. That's a whole. That's a whole different ball game there and like yeah for like such a small area like Chester county bro- more broadly is like is like five hundred thousand people mm-hmm. but you you're seeing like a lot of politicians come out of here a lot of actors come out here uh, and coatesville especially a lot of professional sports players a lot of baseball and football players are coming out of coatesville and a lot of olympians too weirdly let's to circle back to the racial element there is something very interesting which is near Coatesville, which is the Stargazer's Stone. Now, this is, this is something that was pre-American um, independence. This is something that was like pre-independence colonial. It was a uh-huh. temporary observatory established in January 1764 by Charles Mason and Jeremiah Dixon as they surveyed the Mason-Dixon line. Oh. So it's a very important symbolic like, I can think of a hundred different ways that uh, an occultist... Well, yeah, between this and the being the site of America's first fucking toll, yes. toll booth... That's two extremely important Cleomantic sites. Like, I would say that something like the Stargazer's Stone, it may not have the, the same kind of resonance as a single place that you might get from somewhere like the Eiffel Tower or the Forbidden City, but because of its direct link to the Mason-Dixon line, Maybe all that resonant historical energy just ends up at the Stargazer Stone. It would make sense. Well, yeah, like, the only thing more powerful than, like, a natural border is, is an arbitrary unnatural one. Yes. And what's interesting is they have two Stargazer Stones, as in there's a stone with a plaque, which is for tourists, and there's the actual stone, which isn't there. <laughs> which is the- Of course. <laughs> which is... Oh, yeah, there's definitely some shit behind that. It's a really cheeky way for um, relatively on-the-ball pleomancers to sort of bamboozle baby pleomancers and pleomancers who don't really not know what they're doing by having the, the historical marker and the actual place be, like, slightly removed. Yeah. There was also... You were talking before about the Olympic equestrian. Okay, okay, so... To kind of, like, lay the groundwork here, there's a weirdly large amount of Olympians coming out of this area. I'm not sure if anyone uh, listening is particularly into that whole thing, but... Oh, there's probably one of you. Specifically, a a lot of, um... Like, weirdly, it's not in stuff like wrestling or, um... It's largely, like, distance sports. Like, we're seeing, like, Olympian hurdlists, if that's the noun. (laughs) Figure skaters. And... Especially equestrians in the area. The thing about equestrians, it does interest me because what is does exist in Coatesville is a who exists in Coatesville is a woman named Mary Alice Durant Malone who raises horses in Coatesville. And who and if some people will know who that is, who that is, others won't. I didn't know about this person. I sure she is a billionaire. Uh, I think she's in the top four hundred or was. 
and because she is the heiress of the Campbell Soup Company, Fortune. She, she's the largest shareholder. I just want to interject here. So there's three separate Olympian equestrians that live in Chester County, two of which aren't even from America. They're born in Australia. So Australians get everywhere. We're like a, we're like a fungus. Sure, but like the fact that there's three separate Olympic equestrians living in this area, that's fucking weird. It is weird. That's really fucking weird. Okay, but yeah, back to back to the heiress here. She is devoted to equestrian sports. She owns expansive estates in Pennsylvania and Florida, uh, but she lives in Coatesville, uh, I believe still. Uh, she got into a bit of trouble in, uh, what year was it? 2009 to 10. Interesting, interesting time, because that was the tail end of the arsons. But um, she got involved, well, she got stuck in a an extortion plot. What basically happened was... There was a lot, oh, her friend, there was a friend, her woman, Malone's friend, who was named Agnes O'Brien, she told Malone that she had planned to publish a tell-all book and movie all about Eris's personal life, unless Malone coughed up $200,000 up front and a $250,000 annual allowance in exchange for her silence. So what was in that book? Uh, O'Brien ended up getting charged with extortion but it does raise the question what was in that book and why was it such a threat you know why was it such a threat what's going on with this woman this billionaire heiress that raises that is devoted to equestrian sports in a place which has an odd amount of equestrian uh, olympians uh it's it's it seems like a whole bunch of little details that that's just all equal weird Unknown Army's GMC to me. And to add another thing to the 2010 pile, the most recent Olympian to come out of Coatesville, Johnny Weir, Olympic figure skater, whose like career was really big, like 2000 to 2010. 2010 is when his career started to go downhill. He dropped out. I like, and with Weir, the 2010 thing could just be that's when he came out. Um, I, for one, am very surprised to see, find out a male figure skater is gay. <laughs> you can get away with that, Joe. <laughs> but, so, there's a, like, a lot of people closely involved in Coatesville have a lot of weird shit happening to them all around 2010 for some reason. Yeah, it seemed to be an odd period of time. This is what makes me think, why, why? But there's more, there's more. Uh, I want to get into a couple more things before we sign off because we don't have a whole bunch of time. Yeah, though we do need to speculate a bit on how all this ties together, yes. at least. I do want to talk a little bit first about what I believe to be a cursed recycling truck. Explain. All right, so I, as I was doing research on this, I came across an article from February of last year, uh, February 2020. Um, entitled South Coatesville Considers Accepting Free Truck. I'm like, what is this all about? And this abused me. So apparently, um, the borough of South Coatesville had decided to accept a free recycling truck which had been donated by a local municipality, a a neighboring or nearby municipality called Valley Township. This article just amuses me for the pettiness of it. They're like, here's a free truck, but then people in the government are just like, well, we need to we need to make sure this doesn't break down on us. We need to do like a full inspection on this. 
and it just amused me a lot. And then it comes in, it says, Valley Township is giving away the truck in a bid to avoid paying the Pennsylvania Department of Environmental Protection fees based off a sale, which abuses me. What? But what really got my, uh, my mind gears grinding was this line. The township, as in Valley Township, got the truck for free in 2011 from another Chester County municipality, Phoenixville Borough. And I'm just thinking, wait a minute, why is this, why is this recycling truck just being like, like going from one borough to the next for free? Like, it, 2011 too? Yeah, 2011. So they, had, they had it for nine years. When it first got handed off. Yeah, 2011. But it was a 2007 Freightliner, so they kind of had it for that long. Um, no, so yeah. Phoenixville Borough gave it or sold it to Valley Township, who then gave it to South Goatsville Borough. And it just makes me think this is a, this is clearly a cursed recycling truck that has to be given away. Obviously. I mean, obviously. And I think this could be the, the, the core of the campaign. Well, again, like it's another thing happening around that sort of turn of the decade. Yes. Like there's just all this keeps coming back to that fucking. No, what happened in. Did it cause the financial crisis? Is that linked to it somehow? Okay. And like, so is there anything else that we should know about? Coatesville is a part of a comically gerrymandered district, which is called um, Goofy Kicking Donald Duck, because that's the shape of the uh, electoral district. Oh, of course it is. That's a package deal along with the racial history. Of course, yes. And I like gerrymandering in terms of unknown armies because I think as an objective to fuck with the gerrymandering or alter things is is, is a solid sort of objective, a political objective, like local objective style. I, I always kind of like the idea of like mixing like UA with local government. And I know that like yeah, yeah, UA yeah. and government is something that John Tynes and Greg Stolze avoided initially because they like John Tynes especially was coming off Delta Green and he wanted to do something else but I think local government and this kind and like especially the issue oh, of yeah, no, and stuff perfect. that's that's very different like you know just local small scale high stakes bickering yes over a city of like a population that doesn't even hit 20,000 is very different from you know like your federal agency intrigue shit you deal with, with Delta Green. Holy shit, I might be wrong. I think totally Coastville is just outside of Goofy Kicks Donald Duck. Well, okay, but there, th- that's still connected with a bunch of the other Cleomantic shit going on here. Yes, that's true. Definitely a Cleomantic hotspot. All right, uh, anything else of note? Because now... There's a great quote. At the point on the map where Goofy's foot contacts Donald Trump... Uh, Donald Duck... <laughs> it was Donald Duck's rump and it came out as Donald Trump. Okay. Donald Duck's rump. The district is precisely as wide as the Brandywine Hospital, which is odd, which must be very close to Coatesville because that's where the Brandywine River is or area. This is a weird place. Yeah, this is a real fucking weird place. There's also George Spratt. You know about George Spratt? No, he was, not at all. He was the bitter ex-friend of the Wright brothers who ended up breaking his friendship with them because he felt that they didn't give him enough credit for his ideas, which helped them to become the first to fly a heavier-than-air aircraft and ended up building his own aircraft in 1934, which looks quite ridiculous, but it was apparently based on fairly interesting um, aeronautical ideas. But then... 
a month after he built, he finally built his own aircraft, he died. And that's a whole other rabbit hole of weirdness. Like, what if the Wright brothers did steal the idea from him and George Pratt was the one destined to be the first man to fly an aircraft, but they took it away from him? What if there was some Cleomantic slash Mandela effect stuff going on? What if it's uh, like that could be a, a suggestion of um, Mandela effect? Could be everyone saying like, "Oh no 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 no, George Spratt was the first person to fly it." Well, who are these Wright brothers you're talking about? That's a that's an interesting little. I mean, you know, speaking of cheap twists, uh, know who else is from Chester County? Who else is from- M Night Shyamalan? Oh no no you know. You know, I'm I'm literally just you know fucking looking at the Wikipedia page here, and for Chester County, even there's uh, the Pennsylvania Hermit. This, what is this? Like, Who's that? Who the hell's that? Sort of like a Johnny Appleseed, Davy Crockett-esque uh, early American folklore figure. Uh, right. Apparently, sort of his backstory is that his sister had been condemned for the murder of her children, though many believed her innocent of these charges. And though a pardon for Elizabeth was granted by the state and entrusted to William, he couldn't deliver it in time to stop the execution. Oh, Jesus. So, you know, after his sister dies, he withdraws from society, wanders westward till he gets to southeastern Pennsylvania, and spends, like, the last 19 years of his life living in a cave. Oh, okay. As you do. That's fine. It's a As one does. As one does. That's what I'm going to do one day. Uh, they, they figure out what his cave is. Um, they, like, mapped it out, figured out what he has is his bed, probably. So, like, yeah, there's, like, a lot of just interesting folklore from around this area. Um, yeah. And I guess, uh, like, okay, like, what are the regular motifs that we're kind of seeing in this? Like, there, there's some patterns that are asserting themselves. Most obvious one being the uncomfortable racial history that mm-hmm. is in this area. Other than that, we have a long history with lines of division, but, like, not yes. natural ones. Mm-hmm. We have fires repeatedly asserting themselves Mm -hmm. a general association with tragedy in general and it has that because it had like a period of like the boom period of the steel working and then after world war ii and especially after the 60s like a a, a steep decline that's the kind of place where you get weird occult bullshit in the margins athletes athletes for some reason and horses horses so, how the fuck do you pull all that together? That's quite the corkboard you've presented. Oh, you? easily, easily. That is a great corkboard. Now, for something a little bit different, I was trying to do my due diligence in research. And so, of course, I got into, like, my problem with doing due diligence for Anunnaki's research is you end up looking at a lot of stuff, which is, like, stuff like paranormal stuff that isn't really real. It's, like, it's, it's too mundane. Especially ghost. Yeah, most ghost stories aren't really that interesting. They're all the same, or they're really boring. But I found one that I thought was interesting, and you'll get why at the end. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna read this whole thing out. It's from ghostsofamerica.com. It was a page. There's a whole bunch of pages on ghost sightings in, specifically in Pennsylvania, Coatesville. And here it goes. One of the nights, while staying in my motorhome at the Birchview Farm and campground, I was awakened by the sound of my camper door handle trying to be opened. As I laid there and listened, I've seen smoke seeping through the cracks in the door. I sat up in bed and realized it wasn't smoke, 
because the smoke had transformed into an older man with real long, gray, stringy, greasy hair. I laid back down because he was coming right at me. I remember putting my arm up to try to block him as he floated from the door right over my bed and then he floated out the window by my bed. I couldn't make out what he was saying because it all happened so quickly. He didn't return for the duration of my stay. The man reminded me of the old man on the movie Back to the Future. I know I wasn't dreaming. That was submitted by Shaken. Now that's a ghost story that I could get behind. <laughs> Holy shit. It's Doc Brown greasily floating through this woman's motorhome. Love it. Like, what the fuck was even his motive? Jesus. Maybe he was just passing through. Who knows? Why is Doc... Well, he's not going to be Doc Brown. I like it. I mean, like, the, the smoke thing. Like, there's... I'm, I'm assuming that there's definitely some... Th- this is maybe a bit easy to grab for, but uh, at least, like, Charmancy. Maybe an Illamancy. Maybe or um uh what's what what's uh, is Trinaturgy the is that the uh, smoke one, uh cigarette one yeah or yeah, or, Sin- uh, or Trinaturgy yeah yeah because that I think that's a power you could turn into smoke but why did he go turn into smoke just to go why didn't he just walk around this motorhome maybe he had to go in that direction for some reason it's all about direction or having to cross some sort of threshold perhaps perhaps it did make me start to think about. Especially about corkboarding, about the possibility of having another round in corkboarding where instead of adding like locations or NPCs to the corkboard, you just add small little urban legends or something like that, like little things. That could sure. work. I mean, I, 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 it's kind of half-baked the idea, but I think there's, there's, it has some legs. Because especially in um, second edition UA, like the book, it had so many of those kinds of urban legends and it would be interesting you'd have to have the right a, a group that was already into coming up with things or had things to bring that, that's the rough thing in corkboarding is it's already like a lot of uh creative pressure to yes. front players with yes but no, it might be worth a try it might be worth a, a play test I, I could see it just like as the, you know having a corkboarding stage that's just concept just inclusive broad concept that you want me to include in this campaign in some way. Don't need to be specific in the slightest, but just, like, include horses somehow. It could be just as simple as, like, um, you put something up on the board, like a post-it note saying, like, like, there's a troll under the bridge, or something like that, or, like, there's the ghost of, like, a nurse that, for some reason, is in the elementary school, or something like that. Like, even if it's very mundane, adding it to the corkboard with other elements would elevate it because as a gm you'd be like okay how do i make this ua weird how do i yeah. give it that ua twist and there's always a way so with all all this crazy bullshit going on here like is do you have any explanations that like pull all this shit together hmm. it has to be linked to yeah as you were saying before like divisions and directions mason dixon line um the toll road um like those sort of like uh not Fancy, like not well known, but important historical symbolic sites. I don't know. It's like, what's the through line? I mean, horses kind of tie in with that too, right? Yeah. Like their their means of transportation. They were what was being used to map out those areas to cross those tolls. I mean, in in, in a campaign, you might want to like bring in a lot of like themes, but in life, in the real occult underground, there's not always a theme. Life be weird, 
But there's obviously some shit that went down in 2010. Obviously. Yeah, something went down. Or, well, before 2010. 2010 is when it stopped, and they definitely stopped it with those World Trade Center. Like, yeah, like, whoever brought those in was putting an end to something. Arsons that were being, again, perpetrated by at least, like, seven different people. Yeah. One of which is still on the lam. Well, let's, like, speculating from, uh, like, a, an occult underground point of view is kind of crass. But if we take a step back and say it as, like, a, like a sort of general idea, the idea of copycat crimes yeah. um, being... The thing about copycat crimes is they could be used by the sort of um, adept or the sort of charger who wants to do a bunch of stuff, but want, like, for example, influencing a bunch of people to do the same thing and then just letting Occam's razor, the Occam's razor of the mundane world, ascribe it to copycat killings is quite useful. Like, Occam's razor is very useful if you're a wizard trying to cover your tracks. Oh, yeah, easily. That's the thing about. People ask questions about, like, how does the veil stay up in an unknown army's occult uni- underground universe? And it stays up because people want the veil to stay up. I mean, you know, if you hear about all this shit, unless you're given direct proof, you're not going to fucking believe any of that. No, God, no. What the hell or would you? you believe it in your own way, in your own, like, you know, lots of people believe lots of weird shit. Yeah. But... And see lots of weird shit. But the consensus reality, it's not like mage where consensus reality is built like it's consensus reality is just our consensus oh yeah no it has it has a lot of momentum carrying it forward like you like we've been saying occam's razor that's usually how that's going to be applied to all this shit as i I was saying sort of intimating before occam's razor changes depending on your worldview because the occam's razor of of an atheistic secular secularist occam's razor versus a christian fundamentalist occam's razor are very different things like, for some people, like, if you believe in the existence of demons and spiritual warfare, you're going to see things and be like, well, that's happening. It could be a weird psychological condition, but more likely it's a demon. It all depends on your worldview of how you're going to use Occam's, how you're going to wield Occam's razor. I think if we were to investigate this further, like, the, the big thing that we need to look into would be just the history of the Campbell Soup Company. I'm sure there's some dirt there that could be dug up that could probably explain at least a few of these things right and then andy warhol just swings in oh of course now there's a lot but the point is as the more i looked into this the more i realized coatsville is clearly the site of some major occult underground. i'm surprised you couldn't uh, find anything involving richard nixon like there's enough nixon adjacent <laughs> stuff going on it's like he must be involved always, somehow you always want things to be linked to richard nixon because they always are thompson are you the secret love child of Richard Nixon? You can tell me, you know. Um, if only, if only. Uh, unfortunately, I do not have magnificent enough jowls for that to be for that to be plausible. You thought those jowls were natural? You bought those jowls from a merchant. I want some magnificent jowls. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to remember the name of that book that's like about Nixon being a like an actual like Lovecraft cultist. Crooked, that's oh. it. Oh, oh, what is this? I'm looking for that. You didn't know about that okay. one? Oh, oh, what? What, what, what? Okay, I'm, I'm going to have to buy this book. Anyway, that's beside the point. That's our plug for the day. Well, since we're still in the dark on whatever um, particular thing ties all this, all this shit together, I think we're going to be closing off here. 
I think it's about time before we start uncovering things that could be dangerous to us. The fact that they've this is going to be something that we're going to do every now and then. We're going to be paying attention to the areas of the occult underground who are paying attention to us. Who watches the watchers? Uh, don't do, stare apparently. at the abyss because the abyss will stare back at you. Don't stare at the podcast because the podcast will stare at you. That's 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 the thing we're going for. Uh, a couple of other cities. The, the, the key up. warning that's coming out of this is: please, if you are, don't watch our podcast. It's a very dangerous thing to do. Listen, don't, don't watch it. Don't cry on us. I, I record this in a metal shack. I'm always naked. I've got like a, a necklace of uh, frankfurters around various parts of my body, uh, not just the neck. And I'm the one uh, that has it's, to it's, watch him like present himself like that. Look, it's just because I'm. It's an other space where that is considered the height of court culture. Keep listening. We we've been trying to afford a lead box for for a while now, and like it makes all this shit so much simpler. I don't need to be sitting next to a naked Australian all the time. Listeners, there's always a naked Australian sitting next to you. You just don't know it.
Now, here's what's really disappointing. We just saw all that money over there. Look at this empty pool. Look at this pool that, that is literally across from the police station, across from a school, in the middle of a vibrant community. And look, 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 look. There's a swamp growing on it. And my dad, when he took the money and stole the pensions from Coatesville, he donated it to the YMCA and built a hill on the hill for, like, we'll call them white people. But that's an economic class because races are made up. Anyway, there's money for this pool. Dinaman lied and said we get it. There's money for the train station. It's sitting there because Septa's racist. Dude, like, we've got to figure this out. This community needs this pool back. Thank you. Coatesville, um, we got to be loud, okay? Bitch a lot. Bye.